Did you know that right now, as you sit here in this room, that there's a battle going on? There's a battle going on. It's not a battle that you see. It's not something that, that you can, can be a part of and that, that you see with your own two eyes. It's not a fight that you're having with your parents or a disagreement that you're having with your best friend. Instead, there is a spiritual battle that is taking place right here and right now. And we have a very real spiritual opponent. For the past few weeks, we've been in a teaching series called Not of This World. And we've been tackling some, some pretty heavy topics like heaven and hell. But tonight we're gonna tackle a topic that we have literally never covered before. I've never spoken about this. Matthew's never spoken about this. And to be honest, I think it's a topic that we often tend to, to shy away from. It's a topic that we tend to, to tiptoe around in church, probably because it's a little bit uncomfortable and probably because no one actually wants to talk about the devil. So tonight we are going to talk about our spiritual opponent, the devil. Now, if you've ever played sports before, you know that, that you have an opponent, that you have a team or a person that, that you're playing against. And before you face them, before game day hits, you do what? You typically spend time studying them. You wanna understand who their best players are. You wanna understand their strengths and their weaknesses. You wanna identify what kind of offense and what kind of defense they play. You wanna know their strategies and their tactics. And what happens is you take all of this information that you've learned about this team and you put it together into a game plan. And this game plan, it's your roadmap. It's your plan for how you're gonna be successful and for how you're gonna beat your opponent. So tonight, that's what we're gonna do. We're going to develop a game plan to better understand our spiritual opponent, the devil. Now, as followers of Jesus, I believe that it is very important for us to understand who we're up against. It's important for us to, to know who our spiritual opponent is and not to just stick our head in, heads in the sand. Not to act like the devil isn't real, not to act like he isn't a problem. In fact, scripture even tells us that we must be diligent and wise. We must be diligent and wise when it comes to learning about who our spiritual opponent is. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone to devour. So to develop our game plan for tonight, I've come up with three questions. Just like the past few weeks, we're gonna answer three of the most important questions about who the devil is. The first one is this, where did he come from? The second one, what is his strategy? And then the third question, what is his future? And my hope tonight is that we kind of talk about the devil and unpack a little bit more about him, that you will become aware and that you will begin to recognize the schemes, that you will begin to recognize how he is at work in our lives. So the first question is this, where did he come from? Where did the devil come from? You know, I think the assumption is that 
the devil has always existed from the beginning of time. That just like God, he was never actually created. He's kind of always been around. And since he's always been around, his mission and his goal is to cause evil and chaos and destruction in the world. However, the Bible tells us a very different story. That's really not the case. You see, the devil, he has not existed since the beginning of time. And the devil was not actually created as the devil. Instead, he was created as this, this wonderful, this beautiful, this glorious angel by the name of Lucifer. And you see, when God created the universe, he created both the physical world and he created the spiritual world. The physical world is, is what we see. It's what we're a part of. It's who we interact with. It's the things that happen on, on a daily basis. <clears throat> but God also created the spiritual world, the things that, that we don't see. Like God himself, we don't see. We don't see heaven. We don't see angels. And when God created angels as part of this spiritual world, he created them with a very specific purpose. He created them to, to glorify himself. Angels were created to glorify God. And although we can't see them, the Bible tells us that they are actually there. And they have some, some similar character traits even to humans. For example, the Bible tells us that angels, they have personalities. That they're able to express emotions. They even have specific roles and specific jobs that God has given to them. And just like humans... Angels actually have the capacity to choose between right and wrong. They can make moral decisions. They can choose between right and wrong. And what happened is Lucifer, he made a bad decision. He became so full of himself that, that he began to, to rebel against God and to reject God's authority. And so as punishment, God cast Lucifer and his, follow, and his followers, angels that, that we now call demons, he cast them out of heaven. Look at what it says in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God, and banished you, guardian cherub, that's just another name for angel, from among the fiery stones, your heart, it became proud because of your beauty. For the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom, so I threw you down to the ground. Now, the Bible doesn't give us an exact date and time that Lucifer was cast out of heaven. We don't actually know when this occurred. But when we look at the Bible chronologically, meaning we look at the Bible in the order in which events actually took place, a lot of Bible scholars believe that Lucifer was actually cast out of heaven after God created the universe and prior to when the serpent appeared in the garden to Adam and Eve. But regardless of when this actually took place, regardless of when this actually ha happened, the devil and his demons, they were not banished to hell. They were not sent to hell. Now, the Bible tells us that when some demons were cast out of heaven, they were sent to hell. 
and they will be there till the end times. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that next week. But the devil and the majority of his demons, when they were cast out of heaven, they were not sent to hell. In fact, the devil and his demons, they currently roam the earth seeking to, to pose a threat and to cause chaos and destruction. They're not in, in hell, they're here on earth. So what is his strategy? What is Satan's strategy? You know, the name Satan in the original language actually means adversary or to oppose. And that is the devil's primary mission. His primary mission is to directly oppose the people of God. Now, the devil, he is not more powerful than God. He is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. God is the ultimate creator, and he is the most powerful. However, the devil hates God so much that he chooses to attack those who God loves the most, and that's God's children. And he will attempt to make believers, to make followers of Jesus as completely useless as possible in carrying out the mission of God. He will attempt to make believers completely useless as they carry out this mission that God has tasked them to. I want you to think about it like this. How many of you have a fear of heights? Raise them high, come on. How many of you have a fear of heights? All right, I don't love heights, but I can deal with it. There is someone in this room, I see if you can guess who it is, who has the worst fear of heights that you could possibly imagine. It's not John. John, I'm sorry. Matthew. All right, you're exactly right. There he is, right there. Listen. Your student pastor has the worst fear of heights out of anyone that, that I've literally ever seen. And here's what that means, all right? Occasionally... When we have different events going on, different projects, sometimes we have to get on a ladder, right? You have to hang a sign. You have to hang Christmas lights. A lot of times you, like, actually have to get on a ladder to do something. And Matthew, at this point, I don't even ask him to come help anymore because he absolutely refuses to get on the ladder. It's something that, that myself or John has to do. And here's the, the issue with that. Because Matthew has a fear of heights, that's his weakness, he becomes completely ineffective. He becomes completely useless. Like to the point where I don't even ask him to come help anymore because I don't even need him there. He's completely ineffective and he's completely useless. Now, I'm not comparing Matthew to the devil, okay? I'm not comparing Matthew to the devil, but... I want you to think about it like this. That is how the devil will try and work. That is how the devil will try and work. He will try and prey on your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities, your insecurities to render you completely useless for God. He will try to tempt you towards sin, which causes division in our relationship with God. He'll try to hinder you from growing in your faith. 
He'll even try to prevent you from, from reaching other people for Jesus in your close inner circle. He will try and make you as useless and as ineffective as possible in carrying out the mission of God. Now, you may wonder, okay, so what does this look like? How does the, the devil attack me? How does he come after me? What does this look like in my life? You see, the Bible provides several examples of people who, who underwent the devil's attacks, people who were attacked by the devil. And tonight I want us to kind of just unpack three specific ways that the devil will often try and, and target us. Three specific ways that the devil will often attack. Now, by no means is this an exhaustive list, meaning this, these are not the only ways that the devil will try and work in our lives. However, I think some of these are, are the most popular. I think some of these are the things that, that you probably are going to resonate with the most because you've experienced them and you've walked through them in your own life. One of the most popular tactics the devil will use is to tempt you towards sin. He'll try and tempt you towards sin. After Jesus was baptized, he be, and before he began his, his earthly ministry, he was led out into the wilderness. And while out in the wilderness, he prayed and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, think about how hungry you are after a day without eating. You're probably, some of you, it doesn't bother you. But most of you, you're probably in a bad mood. You don't feel too great. You're not feeling your best. Now think about going 40 days and 40 nights without eating. You're not going to be feeling too great, all right? It's, you're going to be in a rough place. And this was the situation that, that Jesus found himself in. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. Then the tempter approached him and he said, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. You see, Jesus, he experienced hunger just like you and I experience hunger. I think there's this tendency to think that, that Jesus didn't struggle with the same things that we struggled with, but Jesus experienced hunger the same way that we do. And the devil knew that at that moment, that was his weakness. That was his vulnerability. And so he tells him, he says, listen, if, if you're the son of God, then why don't you just take this rock right here and why don't you turn it into bread? And if you turn it into bread, then you can eat it and, and you're going to be completely fine. You see, he appealed to, to his weakness. He appealed to his vulnerability to try and lead him towards sin. Now, the devil goes on in that passage to tempt Jesus in several other ways. And although Jesus was tempted by the, the devil, he was able to withstand the devil's attacks. And he did, he did not sin. But what I want us to realize tonight is that the enemy, the devil, he knows those areas in your life that you're weakest in. He knows those areas in life that, that you're most susceptible to. He knows that sin that's most likely to trip you up. He knows that that area in life that, that you're struggling with the most right now. And listen, he's going to exploit those areas. He's going to come after those areas by targeting your heart 
and your mind. But listen, he's going to do everything he can to, to lead you towards sin. But here's the catch. He doesn't make sin look boring and unappealing. He makes sin look fun and exciting and something that, that we want to do, something that, that we want to, to be a part of. He doesn't make it look, look boring and unattractive. And ultimately, he'll try to lead us down this path of sin one step at a time. And guess what? He does this because sin is ultimately what separates us from God. Sin is what creates distance between us and God in our relationship with God. And he will try to exploit that distance. He will try to make that distance grow even more and more so that you and I are not effective in carrying out the mission of God. But not only will the devil try to, to tempt you to sin, he'll also try to deceive you with lies about who God is. He'll try to deceive you with lies about who God is. In the first chapters of the book of Genesis, we see the, the story of, of creation. And I know this is a story that, that many of you are familiar with. And when God created the, the Garden of Eden, he told Adam and Eve that they could, they could eat of whatever tree in the garden that, that they wanted to eat from. And this wasn't like the garden that you think of in your backyard. I mean, this was an indescribable garden, probably to the point that, that we can't actually wrap our brains around what this looked like. And Adam and Eve had, had complete control of, of all of it. They could eat from whatever tree in the garden that they wanted to. But there was one tree. There was one tree that they were not supposed to touch at all. And under any circumstance, God said, if you eat of this tree, if you even touch this tree, you will die. And God, he was very clear when he gave these instructions. He didn't, he didn't mix words. There was no miscommunication. He was very clear when he gave these instructions to Adam and Eve. But I want you to look at, at what the serpent says when he approaches Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, he said to the woman, did God really say that? You can't eat from any tree in the garden. Satan, he didn't come at Eve and be like, oh, God's wrong. Don't listen to him. He didn't come at Eve like that. Instead, he started by planting this really small seed of doubt. He started by planting this really small seed of doubt, causing her to think just for a second, well, did God really say that? Am I sure that, that I heard him correctly when he said that? And listen, once that seed of doubt was planted, he began to feed her lie after lie after lie until she chose to eat of that fruit into sin. In the, the book of, of 2 Corinthians, I want you to listen to what Paul says. Years and years and years later in the New Testament, listen to what Paul says as he's writing to the, the church at Corinth. He says this, But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your minds may also be, dis, be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Listen, the reason that we fall into temptation it's not because we're unaware or because we're naive. 
The reason that we fall into temptation is that we slowly begin to doubt who God is. We slowly begin to think, you know, is God, is, is he really worth it? Is he really enough? Will this other thing in my life, will it satisfy me more? You know, is God really good? Is, is he really what, what I need right now? And over time, we begin to believe the lies that the devil tells us. Not overnight, but over time, as he begins to plant small seeds of doubt in our hearts and in our minds. But not only will the devil tempt you, he'll deceive you, and then finally, the devil, he will accuse you in order to make you second-guess God's forgiveness. In Revelation 12.10, it says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of, of his Christ have now come, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been thrown down. You see, when we repent... And when we turn from our sin, God extends to us grace and forgiveness. He doesn't hold sin over our head. He doesn't guilt trip us into doing better next time. When we ask God for forgiveness from a sin in our life, he moves on. Like he wipes the slate clean. It's not there anymore. But here's what the devil will try and do. He'll try to drag that sin back up. He'll try to keep that sin at the forefront of our minds. So, so that's what we're thinking about. Even though God's already forgiven it, that's the, the thing that, that we're still thinking about. And listen, he reminds us of these mistakes by telling us things like, you know, you've got a problem. Not many people struggle with that like you do. He tells us things like, do you really think God's actually going to forgive you of that sin? Do you really think that God's going to be able to use this because of this one area in your life that, that you're struggling? And after a while, it might sound ridiculous to you right now, but after a while, we begin to believe these accusations. They begin to become true in our own life, and our sin begins to define who we are. Have you ever met someone like the first thing they tell you is something that they're struggling with? That's because that sin is, has come to, to define them. They've become labeled by, by it. They identify with it. And listen, when we become labeled and identified by our shame or by, by our sin, it leads to shame and it leads to guilt. And instead of embracing this forgiveness and this mercy that God has so generously given to us, we begin to second guess his forgiveness. We begin, to our think, we begin to think to ourselves, you know, can God, God really forgive this in my life? The devil, he will try to tempt you, he will try to deceive you, and he will try to accuse you. The last question that I want us to answer tonight is this. What is his future? What is his future? You know, the Bible speaks a lot about the devil's future. And we're going to spend some more time talking about this this next week. And, and we're going to get into a little bit more specifics. But ultimately, the devil's final resting place is hell. 
In Revelation 20, verse 10, it says this, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. You see, the devil and his demons, their final resting place is hell. They will be thrown into the lake of fire and tormented for all of eternity, and they will no longer be able to wage war with God's people. They will no no longer be able to oppose God's people. But what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for you as a middle school and a high school student sitting in this room tonight? Although we are still at war with our spiritual enemy, this is a war that will not last forever. This is a war that that already has an ending that has been written. And that is because the victory has already been secured. The victory has already been won. And when Jesus took on our sin and he died on the cross and rose again three days later, he defeated the devil and he triumphed over death once and for all. And because of that victory we have in Jesus, because of that victory that he secured for us on the cross, the devil will one day be rendered completely powerless. Completely powerless. But until that day comes, until that day that when the devil is defeated once and for all, I want you to hear me say this. You and I, we are still vulnerable. We will still face attacks. He's going to continue to come after us, to tempt us, to lie to us, to accuse us, to, to, to make us ineffective in carrying out the mission of God. But listen, here's the good news. We don't have to live in fear of the devil. The devil is not someone that, that we need to be afraid of. Yes, we need to be aware, but we don't need to be afraid. Because Jesus already provides us the strength that we need to withstand the devil's attacks. He doesn't leave us to to fend for ourselves or to figure it out for ourselves. He's already provided you all of the tools that you need to withstand the devil's attacks. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. You are not powerless. If you've trusted in Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him, you have access to what the Bible says is the full armor of God. You already have everything that you need to withstand the spiritual attacks from the devil. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit that is living inside of you. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside each one of us. So how do you access it? How do you access it? Listen, the answer, it's really simple. But I think a lot of times it's something that that we just completely disregard and that we completely take for granted. You see, you can access this full armor of God. You can access the the full strength of God through three different things. And if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard these three different things preached to you over and over and over again. We have full access to the strength of God when we study God's word. When we spend time learning what the Bible says, when we spend time growing in our faith, when we spend time reading about who God really is, not these lies that the devil is telling us. You have access to to God's power when you pray, when you actually have a one-on-one conversation with God. Then you can ask God to give you the strength to fight whatever temptation that you're walking through. You can talk to him about the struggles that you're facing. And finally, we have access to to God's power when we have community, just like in this room. When you have other people who are walking through similar trials and similar struggles, who can hold you accountable? Who can speak truth into your life when you really need to hear it? But listen, I know we like to say we do these things and I know we like to say these things are important, but are you actually doing them? We like to say that we spend time in God's word every day, but how many of you are actually doing that? How many of you are actually talking to God on a daily basis through prayer? How many of you are spending time with one another, talking about what you're walking through and holding one another accountable? You see, these simple tools, we have access to. But unless we actually utilize them to their full potential, we will never be able to fully access God's power. And when the devil attacks, When you walk through difficult seasons in life, it's gonna be a lot harder than if you're putting on the full armor of God. Than if you're walking in the strength that you already have access to as a follower of Jesus. So for those of you that say you're a follower of Jesus, tonight I really want you to think long and hard. Are these things that that are a part of, of my daily routine? Are these things that that I'm I'm growing in? Or do I really need to put some more emphasis into studying God's word, spending time in prayer, and being in community with, with other believers, with other followers of Jesus? And then for those of you that that are in here tonight and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've still got questions, you're trying to to figure this whole church thing out. Listen, the Bible tells us that the devil he comes to steal and to destroy and to destroy but that that Jesus has come so that we can have life and have life abundantly and if you're here tonight and you've never placed your faith in Jesus I want to challenge you to have a conversation tonight
It's in your name that we pray. Amen. 